subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again here after recording for a lot of weeks in a row. Granted, yes. it was a two-week hiatus, but we are back. That, that, that hiatus wasn't real. Yeah, it really wasn't. We were working and doing everything else. <laughs> we are back at it again for our first episode of June. Whew. And man, this this year has flown by. Yeah, it's kind of terrifying. It is, and we've done a lot of work. We are mm. we are wait, so this is the 6th month. We are officially halfway done with the year of Kaiju Conversation. Mm. Well, not quite halfway, but Oh. Close to it. We're like, once this episode goes live, we're like a week and a half, two weeks away from the half point, halfway point. Yeah. So both you and I somehow have been sick around the same time. I know. It's, wasn't it like basically the same days? Yes, it was because I <laughs> messaged you and you were like, I'm sick today. And I was like, really? Because like, I'm sick too. Hmm. I, w- I, I was congested, I had a runny nose, still kind of do, and then I had, like, my throat was sore. And then I just kind of felt, you know, I just felt sick. Hey, same. So That's what I'm hearing was. is, somehow we both got each other sick through just, like, my webcam and the audio waves going through this Are microphone. Are you saying this is, it's all your fault? No, I'm saying this is your fault. My fault? Yeah. What did I do? You watched a video online and you've you shared your voice and because you shared your voice with me now I was infected. God damn. This is gonna turn say, ring any second. You could say that it was a ring virus. Uh, I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> it's like the plot of rings. Right, because that was an online viral video. Yeah, the short film. Not the short film, the 2017 film with uh, John Galecki from The Big Bang Theory. I mean, I'm pretty sure they took that idea from the short film titled Rings. Maybe. I I watched that short film, but I don't remember it being like that. I thought it was just like... Oh, no, yeah, that's right. like, internet cult thing, and that sort of feeds into the first act of... uh, the 2017 the ring rings. Gotcha. But it was it took place in between The Ring and The Ring 2, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I still have to watch The Ring 2 and then Rings, but... I've seen them both. Just I've that? I've seen them both. <laughs> Just that? You've <laughs> seen them both? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give The Ring 2 this. It's directed by Hideo Nakata. It's not his worst ring movie. That goes to Sadako, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But before we 
go too much into the ring, which once again, we cannot escape it. Here we are Ooh. almost a year later. We were, we were talking pre-cast about this. We've been podcasting for almost a year straight. Jesus Christ. It so does not feel like that at all. It's it feels almost, like it's been like maybe eight months at absolute most is what see, it feels like. I don't know. Maybe for me it's just been because like I've been tormenting myself having six-day weeks and whatnot. But it definitely feels – it almost feels like it's been longer than a year. <laughs> Damn. But I've enjoyed it. It's been a great ride. We've been mm. we've been doing so good. So that means it's almost been a year since the ring joke started. It's almost oh been a year God. since I mean, we're not almost at a year for it. We we still have half a year away, but the Shin Ultraman's connected to every Tokusatsu ever joke. Um and how Adam Wingard is an awful director and Godzilla vs. Kong is the worst movie of all time joke. As I mean, let's be honest, you and I were basically on that path, path even before bringing the podcast back with that joke. <laughs> this is true, but like, it's just become our things. It's our things now. So yeah, here we are. We're back at it again. Uh, yeah, the podcast cost me a lot of money for Ring. <laughs> the podcast cost me a lot of money. Oh yeah, but in general. Or a few other things. <laughs> Moving on beyond my uh, my shortcomings and, and whatnot, uh, here we are. We just wrapped up Star Wars month. Mm. After wrapping up Kawasaki month, we've been recording for two months straight. Yeah, so it's we're it's kind of nice. Insane. We're kind of insane, you know. We're him. You agreed to it, so you you have fifty percent of the insanity too. I, that's why I said mainly. Oh, it's 50-50. Yeah, but you're more insane in general. Uh, that's true, because I have to stay <laughs> up. Exactly. Next year, next year we're going to have you stay up all night, and you can do it. Oh, boy. That'll be interesting. Rex is like, nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, this month we will have a exciting spinoff episode called The Monster conversation annual number two which is nathan marchand and i uh, nathan marchand of the monster film vault share a birthday together uh at the end of this month contrary to rex's uh feelings i was born <laughs> uh rex is like man if he wasn't born i wouldn't have all of this stuff i gotta do oh life would be just so much easier <laughs> Uh, more running around making ring jokes mm. if I wasn't born you may have never been introduced to ring no I'd seen the ring before already but you would have not fallen into the spiral you did of oh. watching of watching, why, of did watching. You, why do you have to say it like that every time stop <laughs> you would have not Fallen into the spiral of watching all of the Ring I'm going movies. Mad. I'm and actually going not. mad. In short films and TV shows. God, maybe you... it will be 50% insanity. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to think that this is your best timeline. 
But uh, I, I, I was hoping there'd be a slightly better timeline out there, but thanks. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the month, we'll have that special episode. Um, this month, we're slowing down. We'll have that. We have this episode. And then we also have a bonus episode uh, that's already been recorded and edited uh, for you guys to enjoy. So this month, I mean, you're still going to get potentially four episodes, but we are slowing down a little bit just so we have a little bit of a breather because it's been mm. crazy. We're It's been crazy. Yeah. And we're still doing this after getting over being sick. So look at us just trucking along here. Mm, mm. But beyond that, Rex, how have you been? Oh, my, minus the sickness. Pretty good. Good. Any uh, anything exciting happen uh, uh, in, in the last week? Not really, from what I remember. See, I hope that's I'm not something going too crazy because I I'm struggling to remember what happened this week. See, that's something that like because we record weekly, we've discovered our lives are actually really boring. It happens. On my end, I I don't really think anything exciting's happened. Uh, I feel like, well, no, there, there was a few things, um, but they weren't to me. They were just things that were announced. Uh, Shin Kamen Rider actually got an extension on its theatrical dates. Mm. Um, I'm kind of hoping I can pick up a second showing. Meanwhile, Uh, the, uh, meanwhile, the Japanese release is coming to a close. This is true. And then we also got the announcement that SRS Cinema is releasing... Dae's 1961, The Whale God. Gotta uh, say, that was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> so, I guess I can talk about it. Um, I, in, in that special meeting that I've, I've referenced uh, a few times, it, I, I was told that back, back before Arrow announced Gamera, the box set, the first one, Mm-hmm. SRS was trying to work with Katakawa to do uh, the God Whale. Okay. Uh, so this is like 2018. Uh, 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. They were in talks to get the God Whale. They were like literally an email away from saying, you have the rights for this price, for this distribution. We agree. And then Arrow announced that they were doing the Gamera box set. And Arrow was probably able to uh, give them a little bit more money and treat their films a little better than what SRS could do. So because of that, Katakawa actually just stopped emailing SRS entirely. Hmm. So at that point, it was it kind of felt like, well... Arrow will pick up the rights. We're not going to get it. We're SOL. Mm-hmm. Which was the case because Arrow did all 12 Gamera films and then they did the three Daimajin films and then they did the three, the four Yokai oh. films and then they did the two Invisible Man movies and then Snake Girl, Silver Haired Witch. Even in 2019, they were doing like the four ring movies, uh, the three, cause all of them were owned by Katakawa, the three, uh, one miss call movies, plus the two short films, uh, yeah. the three, uh, dead or alive movies, pulse even, uh, 
And I, I want to say that's it when it comes to Katakawa and Daie Katakawa. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arrow. I see. So they were like working with, with Katakawa was working with Arrow very extensively. And then, and I, and I, I think it's because of this Fran Simonia, the, uh, the like main guy behind uh, Arrow's uh, catalog. Like he would be the one that messaged people and got rights and made deals. He left the company. Mm-hmm. He went and started uh, Radiance Films, which is uh, like like an SRS cinema, except with somebody who's way more experienced in producing content for each release. Uh, he started his own company that does UK distribution, but because he worked with Arrow, he has contacts to release some stateside as well. Okay. So he started his own little thing, and Arrow since then has really just not done anything mm. um, on the kaiju tokusatsu uh, front. Yeah. Uh, they worked with Toei for two titles, Horrors of Malformed Men and Wolf Guy when it comes to that stuff. They worked with Toho for the Bloodthirsty trilogy. They worked with Miike on Terraformers. And that's pretty much it. Like mm-hmm. they, But all of those were like years prior to, to really the Gamera stuff and anything like that. Yeah. Um. So Arrow just kind of dropped all of the Japanese genre films. They've done a few like legacy titles. Um, but they haven't really done anything outside of that. I know well, they people. They did the Juon set to be fair. In the they UK. did do Juon, but it was UK exclusive. Mm. Um, they they didn't work with Katakawa to do. Uh, they have a ton of Ghost Cat movies. Um, there's a few invisible, like Swordsman, Invisible, uh, Hunter, I think's another one. There's a few like invisible persons movies they never did. They didn't mm. do uh The Demon of Mount O or Buddha, The Whale God, like all of these titles just kind of Yeah, just... I mean if we're talking about Katakawa movies that Arrow hasn't done, uh I, I call I dub in ring sequels. <laughs> Right, yeah, because you have Sadako 3D, Sadako 3D2, Sadako, Sadako, Sadako uh, DX. Yeah, um, I mean DX, I could give them a pass for because that being recent. Right. There's even on a similar uh, line as that. Great Yokai Guardians. Right, and that came out around the time that they did uh, the Yokai the set. set. Yeah, and the way they set up the box set is they left Great Yokai to its like own release because it seemed like they would eventually release it to pair up with great yokai war guardians mm-hmm. so um i'm actually pulling it up right now i have a list of all of the stuff they didn't touch so there's snow woman um there's a ton of ghost stories which uh there's uh one two there's a lot uh whale god demon of mount O. Nitrin and the Great Mongol Invasion, uh, Buddha. Oh, I also forgot to mention they did Warning from Space. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's also like Tokyo Blackout and Wind Velocity 75 Meters, aka Typhoon Reporter, um, Rainbow Man, Broomba, Claws of Iron, Invisible Demon, uh, Invisible Swordsman, Virus, uh, The Day of Destruction, which Arrow's 
did Battle Royale, and they talk about Kenji Fukusaku a lot, so I'm surprised they never touched that. Mm. Um, there's uh, something called Suzo, Suzo Onu Su, Su, Suzo no Suke Adeko Collection, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies, and then there's their Kaidan Ghost Stories which there's mm. about a dozen of those, and then their Ghost Cat series, which it looks like there's half a dozen of those. Mm-hmm. Like, there's still a ton of content for Arrow to do, but they just didn't do it. Yeah. Um. So my guess is Arrow has stopped. I mean, not only have they has Arrow announced that they're reducing their content to make sure they don't have any more disc recalls because they were having a lot of those. Um. But it just seems like they're not doing the Japanese stuff as much. I think it's because you have, like, to subtitle interviews and subtitle trailers and, and the movies themselves and sync it all up and maybe, like, sync dubs and, and like, get approval for all this bonus material and then still get people to, like, you know, translate synopses or, or the, the credits and whatnot. So yeah. it might just be they, they don't want to spend the time on it. I, I don't know. Mm. But a year has passed since really any Arrow video uh, Dae Katakawa stuff. And here we have the announcement that SRS is doing the God Whale. Mm. few things I'm, I'm going to point out. One, it, it's going to be a very nice transfer, transfer from what I've been told. It's definitely coming to Blu-ray. But my concerns are, one, I feel like they're going to make the artwork not look like Arrow. So I wish Arrow would get it because Arrow would do better artwork. I'm already guaranteeing that it's going to look kind of like a cash grab, a little overdramatic, the SRS release. Mm -hmm. It's going to have better graphic design. Like SRS is simplistic and nice, but it's not good. It's very simplistic and basic. And I don't know if Ron's going to be able to, like, make the subtitles look nice or pay somebody to do a very well-put-together commentary or create, like, nice bonus material because SRS has not done that. Yeah, SRS either has hoped that the fans would submit stuff or... It just is bare bone or whatever the Japanese studio offers them. Yeah. Which is concerning to me. Yeah, I mean, that definitely does suck. I mean, the fact that we probably aren't going to get like the best possible release, no matter what, that does suck. But at least we are getting it. There's... Like, at least the film isn't just doomed to be trapped to only Japan or maybe some other regions where it's gotten release, you know? Right. Because a, a lot of foreign films are just going to forever essentially be trapped in their right. home countries. But another thing I'm a little worried about is, like, all of Arrow's, or not Arrow, SRS's past releases have been... Um, pretty much with individuals. Mm-hmm. So they can do region zero and like not worry about like 
Because Region Zero, that means they have international distribution rights. Yeah. When it's an individual, like they don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. With Space Monster Wing Magui, they had to work with the Korean Film Archive, which is yeah. like an establishment, but even then, it's still not a studio. Like they're not the Korean Film Archive's not worried about backwards importation, whatnot. They just want money. Yeah. Um. However. Katakawa definitely is going to be concerned about backwards importation. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. Like, remember the Gamera set that even the Region A US Blu-ray, it's not region locked. <laughs> this is uh, true. And, you know, they don't really care much for Gamera. How, how much are they going to care about this one this one film you know maybe maybe they do maybe i don't know how like well regarded whale god is like amongst like uh classic japanese cinema goers but just at least in the tokusatsu fandom like it's very 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 obscure right the only thing i would say that whale god has that's like really like this is a prestigious film. Is it's got it's Takashi Shimura. Film. Yep, it's got Akira Ifukube, and then it also has uh, uh, what's his name? Zatoichi. Uh, yes, it has Zatoichi. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like you said. I I don't know if Katakawa would use that and be like, well, because it's got these three like. I mean the SRS. <laughs> Uh, the SRS announcement, I don't think, even makes any mention of Zatoichi's actor being in it. It does. <laughs> it was the Sci-Fi Japan reveal that did it. Okay. Um, because Keith Keith did the Sci-Fi Japan post, and he just transferred, like, did a scan of, like, a casting crew, and it did include that actor, so he just didn't include it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just brought up Akira Ifukube and Takashi Shimura. Which, mm. admittedly, and right? Which, admittedly, like if if we're being technical here, that doesn't surprise me because those three actors and composers would be recognized by kaiju fans. But I will say this: from the research that I did and I've shared with you, God Whale is technically the second kaiju movie, or it is. It's the first kaiju movie. Um, the second kaiju product of the 1960s, which is pretty cool. Because um, hmm. Marin Kong, which was a TV show, was in 1960. God Whale was 61 before Mothra, to my understanding. So, mm-hmm. But people have also said, like, it's not actually a kaiju movie. It's just a giant whale. Mm-hmm. So... Some people might get disappointed, and I've also been told it's not really in the movie for a long time, mm-hmm. but it's still exciting nonetheless. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Would you say this is more... Wh- which announcement do you think's better or more significant? God Whale, which is from Katakawa, one of the five major studios of Japan, one of the early it, it is the earliest Dai Kaiju movie. It is one of the first Kaiju products of the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Or 
Space Monster Wing Magui, the third kaiju movie from Korea, the second full-length feature film, or just found film? Um... I don't know. I feel like I feel like Wang Magui might be more significant just for how you know rare it was, and the interesting case of you know it for a long while being believed to have been lost. You know? Right now, I will say this, and I think this is something too. I think Wang Magui, when when we look back in retrospective, because with the God Whale announcement, there was also the reveal that there is a second mm-hmm. announcement coming. Um, actually it's coming this following week as of recording, um, which was apparently major. So I'll I'll get to what I think here. So space monster wing Magui, Ron had to pay a pretty penny for. Yeah. On top of that, he paid Matt Frank to do the logo and the cover art, which he does not charge. He charges a pretty penny too. So like it's, it was going to be expensive. I'm not going to be surprised if Matt Frank ends up doing the God Whale as well. Yeah, I'm anticipating it. (laughs) That was a very expensive title. However, because of the fan submissions, it became a very loaded, probably borderline, like, copyright infringing because of one of the uh, menus. And, you know, I I feel like you could argue that it's a little amateurish because of those bonus features included on the release. It still was a success. It, to my understanding, is the best-selling Blu-ray that Ron has put out that's Kaiju or Tokusatsu. Really? Because, I mean, he had to print, he printed more of those than Howl. Howl, he did not print as much as Space Space Monster Wing Magui. Wing Magui got a bigger release and has sold more. But because of how well it sold, I think Ron got the confidence to go back to Katakawa and offer a significant sum for God Whale in hopes that when he releases that, it'll have a Wing Magui hit. Hmm. Which brings me to what I was going to say. So, the second film. So... I have a few guesses. I was talking with some of my uh, other online friends about it. And Mm. so here's, so my five predictions for uh, what the two announcements were, were this. God Whale, I was right. What to do with the dead kaiju, Yuzo, Yungu, and Dinosaur Zuzu, and Outer Man. Those are Mm. the predictions I have. Now, I feel like Yungu and Dinosaur Zuzu probably won't happen. Yeah, I feel that's the most unlikely. <laughs> um, I think Outer Man might have a rights issue because of uh, it's right now Midnight Pulp is airing it on Amazon Prime. So there's at least a streaming thing with it. Um, yeah. So I don't see that. So that would block a like 2B release theoretically from right. SRS. Um, which leaves two. You have Yuzo, the biggest battle in Tokyo, which is owned by Nikatsu because uh, Yoshikatsu Ishii sold that to Nikatsu for international distribution yeah. rights. Or what to do with the dead kaiju, which was a co-production between Toei and Shochiku, but Toho distributed. If I no, it was Toei no, distributed. It was yeah. Was I? Was it Shochiku? It was Toei because because I remember in an interview they said they wanted Toei's distribution because they have 
Toei has some of the best distribution in Japan beyond Toho. Mm-hmm. I mean, Toho I think, owns basically all the theaters anyway. Right, so. and I think the ones <laughs> they don't own, I think the ones they don't own is what Toei owns, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, Which is probably like two cinemas, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that would be a Toei Shochuku acquisition or a Nikatsu. The reason I think it's Yuzo is, and I guess I can say this, um, I've seen Yuzo. I attended the the uh, world premiere, international worldwide premiere. Mm-hmm. Ishe-san wants it to be distributed in America. Ron, when, when Ishe announced that it was up for uh, licensing, I shot Ron a message and I said, hey, Ron. I've seen this movie. You should definitely pick it up. And Ron wants to pick it up. Um, Ron's mm-hmm. wanted to pick it up for a while, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't doubt that. And he has a good relationship with Ishe-san. The only problem is Nikatsu picked up the distribution rights. So he has to go through Nikatsu. I think mm-hmm. that's what he'll end up doing. And I'll just say, if, it is that he already definitely has some stuff on it to make it a little bit better than some of his other releases, but I can't, I don't really want to, I I don't want to promise anything until it's officially in in writing. So I think it'll be Yuzo. Um, Mm -hmm. Though I know what to do with the dead Kaiju is definitely up there as well. If we're talking about major acquisitions, Mm Mm-hmm. Unless he got, and some people have suggested, like, Demon of Mount O, which you've seen. You've seen that film. Yeah. Would you want it to be that, or would you rather it be, like, Yuzo or What to Do with the Dead Kaiju? I mean, I'd want it to be, like, either, like, I'd I'd probably want it to be Yuzo most, just because, I mean, A, that's, that's the one I haven't seen out of, like, those three. I've seen... What to do with Dead Kaiju and uh, uh, Mount Norway. So, yeah, no, nah, because Yuzo, to my understanding, outside of like the couple of um, uh, couple of festival showings it ha- has had, doesn't really have any like physical release at the moment, to my understanding. Correct. Correct. It was aired twice, it was shown twice in the States, and then it was. Uh... It was shown in film festivals in Japan. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So, like, at least in What to Do with the Dead Kaiju and, like, Mount Oe's case, they have had some capacity of release, not only, like, theatrically, uh, um, but they've also had physical releases, at least in their home country, you know? Right. So we'll see what it is. I I really hope it's Yuzo. Uh that will be a I think it really I feel like it's gonna be Yuzo. Mm-hmm. And the day that's announced, I'm gonna have to be making some messages. <laughs> um the only thing I will say is we could have a problem because if Nakatsu's running it, granted they seem like they don't really care because Media Blasters has released a decent amount of Nikatsu stuff and they just kind of put on put on whatever. But, you know, it could be something where they don't want special features, which would be kind of disappointing. Yeah. Say. But to my understanding, the only studio that is stingy like that is Toho. Toho. 
<laughs> so I guess we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but beyond that, we have an exciting episode for you today. Uh, mm. Right before we get into that, we always got we have to ask the question: What tokusatsu have you watched? So Rex, oh. go ahead. What tokusatsu have you watched? Oh well, outside of the shows that I started a few weeks back and are still continuing, like V Free, um, I also started uh, another. Sh- Another Sentai series, my second Super Sentai series, Samurai Sentai Shinkenja. Shinken, is that the one with the trains? No, that's Tokuga. Okay, which it was like a couple years after, I want to say. Gotcha. Shin- I have seen is- the crossover Tokuga did with Kamen Rider Gaim though. <laughs> gotcha. So is is that like the Shin Super Sentai in air quotes? No, it, it's no? it's 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 just the samurai sentai. <laughs> oh, was it Power Rangers Samurai? Yeah, that okay. Yeah, it was adapted into that. Yeah, okay. I I don't know sentai, so I that's why I'm asking questions just so I can okay. I can learn a little bit. Yeah. No, I'm still learning a lot about sentai. <laughs> I I, I don't know, know very much either. I know Zoo Ranger became. Mighty Morphin season one. I know O Ranger was season two of Mighty Morphin, and Kaku Ranger was season three. You see, I don't even know that outside of the Zhu Ranger becoming Mighty Morphin. Oh, and Jetman was used for an unaired pilot of Power Rangers. Oh, right. I've heard of that in the past. <laughs> and then they got adapted into three movies. And two of them included CGI. Well, there's also a bonus, like, special episode, special movie that didn't include any footage from Sentai, I think, which was once and always. But that's all mm-hmm. I really know. I, I my, my knowledge is very limited. Yeah, as is mine. <laughs> also, I think Car Ranger became Turbo because Car and Probably. Turbo, or it was Probably. RPM, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. This is that's, that's that a Michael. Right that's a Michael and Nathan conversation. They know way more <laughs> than I do. Yeah, you'll probably get a message from them correcting you on all all the terms and stuff. It wouldn't be the first time they've messaged me to correct something I say. Um <laughs> uh, outside of that, I actually watched a J horror movie as well. Oh. Uh a film in English, it's called Remember or re slash member. Um, okay. In Japanese, it's Karada Sagashi, which means body search, and it's on Netflix. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Pretty I remember. Is it what year was it released? Twenty twenty two. It it's oh. the film that beat Sadako DX at the box office in terms of like <laughs> J horror. <laughs> I love that. Um, cause I, I remember in one of our most recent episodes, I was actually asking you what series you're going to jump on. Have you continued the Tome series? Tomie? Yeah. Um, last time did I mention that I had seen Tomie replay? Yes. And you said revenge okay. was the next one. Rebirth is the next one. Yes. Yep. I have not watched rebirth yet. I haven't gotten around to it. Gotcha. Honestly, I wasn't even intending I, I didn't 
intend on watching a J-horror movie on like the day I watched Remember. It just kind of mm. happened. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. But I actually quite enjoyed it. You know, at, at first, like the first act or so, I was a little, first like 20-ish minutes or so was, uh, was a bit iffy. I wasn't huge on the movie, but then, but then I kind of realized what it was going for as like a teen horror movie rather than like a super serious, like 100% playing it straight one. Gotcha. Once I got what it was going for, I had a good time. Gotcha. Even if the characters are still kind of idiots <laughs> at <laughs> points. And, and like the movie skips over some things that are mm. pretty important. Like there's this one character who's kind of like a loner and the, and he's supposed to have an arc of him like, you know, not being a loner and like interacting with the group and all that. Right. They introduce that. And then like 20 minutes later, they have the resolution for that but you don't see any of his development happen. <laughs> oh, well, that's <laughs> disappointing. So there's a couple things like that where the movie does it, does that sort of stuff and kind of skips over things, etc. The tone is a little off at times with it just, there's some very clashing moments. Mm-hmm. But overall, I still had a fun time with it. Gotcha. Well, that's good. And there was this, I was surprised to see a practical monster in it. I love that. I, love I was hearing not that. expect. I was not expecting that at all. But the movie kind of threw a wrench near the end, and I was like, "Oh damn, we're not just doing a red ghost girl." Interesting. I love that. I love hearing when stuff like that happens. Yeah. What else have you watched? Um. Well, that's more or less it. There is. There's. There is another movie I watched. Um. I think hopefully you would have watched. Right? See, I don't I don't remember watching any Tokusatsu. Oh, again, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been I've just been so busy like You sure you didn't watch You sure you didn't watch anything? Uh, I feel like there was. I feel like there was something. Hmm. Uh There were swords and there was jumping and kicking and have you fi- have you finally gotten into Kamen Rider nineteen seventy one? No, oh, unfortunately not. Damn it. Yeah, I know. I'm such an awful person. Yeah, you are. I want to say it was like it was based off of something iconic. Hmm. Um, God, yeah, I did I'm watch. S- you know, speaking of iconic movies, I did watch a film recently called Lady Snowblood. Did you? Yes. I totally did uh, not plan to watch that in preparation of a certain June episode of Culture Conversation or anything. Wait a minute. It's June. It's yeah. my birth year. It's my birth month, which means you got to pick the movie. Yes. And I told you not to pick this movie, but you picked the movie. Yes. That's right. Yes, I did watch a Tokusatsu movie, and it was called. Uh, uh, you can't even remember its name. The the princess of it was not the princess of Mario World. It was uh, 
The Princess Blade. That's oh, right. Oh wow, that's that's crazy. I did not know yeah. that because that's what I watched. Bro, no way. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> we we are covering the Princess Blade from two thousand and one, also known as uh, Lady Snowblood or Shirayuki Hime. Which I would I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, that this was an adaptation of Lady Snowblood. That was something I was surprised really? when I Yes. When I first so this is my second time watching the movie. And I didn't know that first time watching. I feel mm-hmm. like if I did, I would have been a little more disappointed. I mean, to be fair, in it being a remake or reimagining of Lady Snowblood. It's really loose. <laughs> right. It's a very loose adaptation. It's kind of like how Legend of Eight Samurai was very loosely based off of the original Satomi Hekkinen. Yeah. Um, I haven't so like read at the least... manga, but, you know, I did prepare by watching the the uh, Meiko Kaji film. And yeah, two very different beasts. Right. And what's funny is both of the writers for the manga actually got credit in the film. So mm-hmm. uh, for anybody who doesn't know who they are, it's Kazuo Koike and mm-hmm. Kazuo Kimamura. Yeah. Uh, they also did the Lone Wolf and Cub uh, yeah. mangas. So I don't want to dive too much into the production facts here. Um, I'd like to kind of just jump right in into the movie. Okay. And uh, go back around to those factoids at the end here. Okay. Um, if you want to do that. Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay. So, Rex, usually I start this, so I'm going to let you take us take us away here starting uh, at our opening credits. Okay. So, um, the opening credits, um, after them we get our title card, Shirayuki Hime, and, or before them, sorry. And then we are sort of given, you know, a narration and some on-screen text to explain, you know, the context of this world, which is sort of like, um, it's sort of dystopian-esque, um, where the country, unnamed, but obviously meant to be like Japan, has completely isolated itself from the world, which Japan did do in real life for a fair a fair long time. Right. Um, in this time, there has been a lot of rebellion against the, against the government and which is being attempted to be suppressed by the state. And so one, one of their, uh, main forces of the states is one of the government's main forces is a, is a, uh, clan called the house of Take, Takemazu. How do I say it? (laughs) It's all you, buddy. It's all Take, you. Ta, the house of Take Mikazuchi. Real quick, um, do you? So the film came out in two thousand one. Yeah, but like they're using swords, and the original story was set in the Meiji period. Yeah, but there's also like nineties vehicles, but there's also like futuristic technology and, and computers from the eighties. And there's guns. Oh, not yeah. The eighties computer. It's borderline seventies. I'd argue computers. This is true. I so mean, like, they're using seventy the, sound effects from Alien. 
I was going to bring that up, the <laughs> alien sound effects from Mother. I was curious to hear what you thought of that because you're the yeah. – and I love Alien too, but you, you, you're you obsessed and <laughs> love that stuff. Yeah, as the name – as my name implies. <laughs> yeah. So do do we ever find out what period this is set in? No, like it's what? just like some 500 – it's like very vague. <laughs> okay. Okay. Also, I wanted to bring up real quick that the music right from the get go is very ah, intense in this movie. Kenji Kawai score. <laughs> yeah. But keep going. Because okay. you brought up how we're kind of being, uh, the stage is being set. Yeah. It's also very bleak, too. Like all the color in this film is really, really bleak, very yeah. 2000s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the house of Take Misa, Mikazuchi. God, usually you're the one who's butchering pronunciations. Um, hey, it just goes to show it's not just me. It is just you, but this this is a long name, okay? So, yeah, the this clan are essentially a group of assassins whom... In the past, we're actually from a... I think it's suggested that they're from, like, another country or kingdom, as it's called. But yes. um, that got destroyed, and so they've essentially migrated to here. And now they're basically hired, killers for hired, hire. Not hired guns, hired uh, assassins. Swords, yeah. Yeah, hired swords, that's it. <laughs> and uh, so the first thing we see on... The first thing we're shown is an action sequence of them assassinating a group of people. I don't really know. I don't remember them explaining who they, these they don't. are. <laughs> they don't. Um, from what I was able to find out, though, uh, the action coordinator, Donnie Yen, mm-hmm. uh, who is has worked extensively in action films like the John Wick movies and the IP Man movies and and a ton IP of uh, Hong... how how do you say it? Ip man. Ip man. Ip man. <laughs> well, he's big enough to be an IP man. Um, yeah, just casually dropping to... Donnie Yen's name. I was shocked when I saw he was in the credits of this. <laughs> I was shocked when I saw Shinji Higuchi in the credits. I didn't realize that, too. that until that too. Yeah. Um, but Donnie Yen said he wanted to showcase their uh, their talent. So they started like w- the the reason they started the film off that way was to to showcase it. Yeah. Even though it is a little weird, they're like standing on a flat concrete surface with no sky, and then they run forward, and then suddenly they're in a field. Yeah, it kind of reminds they leave me back to the to the blank surface. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of like Common Rider and Sentai, where they magically appear in a quarry every episode somehow. Uh, well, not every episode, but yeah, they do it a Most lot. Most of them. So, sometimes it doesn't really make any sense, like when it happens the umpteenth time in Common Rider Black, <laughs> where suddenly but, uh, the monster just takes him out the building, and it's a rock quarry or something. Mm-hmm. Or like they'll be in, in they'll be in like downtown Japan and then they'll do a flip. Yeah. And yeah. then suddenly Ah, <laughs> uh, gotta love it. Gotta love no budget. Mm. I mean I mean it's 
to be fair, a lot of the a lot of the locations they shot in at that time were like they didn't often have the permits to shoot there, so <laughs> right, right. To have a permit, it was like the whole budget of the series. So yeah. But sorry, I interrupted you. Nah, Please okay. continue. Okay. Um. So yeah, after after assassinating these random dudes, they they leave and go back to base where um. Our main character, Yuki, the titular Lady Snowblood, um, has a dream of herself in the forest and where she sees her mother. She wakes up um, and we essentially we essentially learn that her mother is deceased. And um, Yuki, Yuki is tasked with killing a member of the um, house of Take, Take Mikazuchi. I'll because it off he the top ran of my off, head, right? eventually. Yeah, he he ran off, and he's if if he um, finds anyone, they're afraid he's going to spell their secrets. Essentially, gotcha. Which leads us to a very quick kill. Like, oh yeah, she goes out and hunts him, and she kills him like within thirty seconds. Which, yeah. um, according to Donnie Yen. Uh, he a lot of the kills in this movie, especially the quick ones, he took inspiration from like westerns and the gun shootouts. Whoever was the quickest gunman, like won. Yeah. Um, oh, this was kind this, of this kill especially feels yes. a lot like that. Um, and it was this sequence specifically where he highlighted that. Yeah. Um, I mean, even having like he throws away when she discovers him. Um. He throws away his sword and begs her to spare his life. Possible reference to the original, to one of the characters from the original, maybe. Um, but yeah, and so she's got, she's like undeterred and is holding her sword about to strike him. Which and then he, the the way they like use their swords in this movie is really weird, right? Am I the only one that thought that? You know, I actually, I actually. Um, Watched. I didn't pick up on it, but um, I was. I watched an interview with uh, Yumiko Shaku, uh, the main actress playing uh, Yuki, on the set, and she actually mentioned that. And I, I, apparently, it's sort of the style of uh, Hong Kong filmmaking and how they hold their swords. Right. It was described. Style. It was dis- but they also. So from what I, because it's funny you brought that up. They wanted to have Japanese swords, but they wanted the reason they brought Donnie Yen in was so that the action was different. Mm-hmm. So they they described it as Japanese stylized sword fights with new Hong Kong action influences, which yeah. is what Donnie Yen brought to the table. Yeah. Um, and the I mean, fact that he other, there were a few Hong Kong stuntmen as well, I believe, on set. Right, right. Um, but when everybody found out he was coming over to Japan to work on the film, uh, everybody was like really surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to what I was saying, uh, she's she's got a sword uh, ready to strike, um, just waiting for him. And you know, in the last second, he tr- he tries to pull a knife and trick her, but you know, she uh, just slits his throat. <laughs> and 
and all the cutting is really quick too. Like, yeah. They, Honestly, the, I, could, I I knew she slit his throat. I wasn't exactly sure like what her method of doing it was because she 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 uh, takes her sword out, cuts his throat, and then like it looks like it goes. Like she has the sword go around his head and then back, and then has it go right. back into its sheath, which is yeah, cool. No, the, but I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's. There's a lot of like quick cuts in this movie when it comes to the action stuff, which mainly I'm sure the, is mainly in the first, uh, first like third of the movie. I'd say I would agree with that, and I, I feel, I'd like I feel to like it gets a bit more clear in, in like the latter, in yes. like the la- latter half of the film when they have the wider uh, action sequences, like the wide shots and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, and I wonder if that's just the Hong Kong influence because I know at least in like Super Inframan. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to that movie, there's a lot of quick cuts in that one, in that movie, um, mm-hmm. which was Shaw Brothers, which was kind of the forefront to, ja- uh, not Japanese, uh, Hong Kong Kung Fu action movies I mean, from the 70s. I don't know, because um, from what I understand, I, I could be completely wrong. I am no expert on this by any means, but... From what I understand, a lot of Hong Kong, at least in the modern day, a lot of Hong Kong uh, fans like Hong Kong cinema action uh, aren't a big fan of like quick, like the quick editing sort of style Mm -hmm. um, that you see um, in some of these earlier fight scenes in this film. It's in Hong Kong action. I think it's it's preferred to be a lot more like clear just clearly shown no crazy editing away and all that. No, no right. Hideaki Anno style Shin Kamen Rider fights. <laughs> See, I wouldn't know because I haven't seen Shin Kamen Rider. Because hmm. I know a few people who were complaining about that um, and comparing it, to comparing how Hong Kong uh, action sequences are shot more like um, smoothly, I guess. <laughs> Um, see, I, I would love to like watch, cause you know that that's like Shaw Brothers and like, uh, Jackie Chan and mm-hmm. all of the the kung fu and and action movies. I'd love to watch them. I just, I've never gotten around to it ever. Mm. You, you you should you should. I've seen I've seen a couple. They're good. Um, yeah. I, I've seen like Roy, uh, Yes, Madam, and I'm very much looking forward to watching uh, Royal Warriors, which has Hiroyuki Sonata, and then that, and then the third movie in that series has Common uh, Rider himself, Hiroshi Fujioka, in it. So you know, but yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry for <laughs> unrelated. So after after the fight, they they go back, or she goes back to the base with his sword. To prove that she's killed him. Well, not not yet. She is going to go back. She picks up his sword, um, but then she gets approached by uh, by a man named Kuka, um, who essentially reveals to her that her mother was killed by um, the man who is leading her group, the Take, Take, Takemikazuchi clan. If yes. I had a shot for every time you messed up the name, I'd be Shut drunk up. by now. 
Shut up, as if you'd be any better. I, wasn't I hit a looking, nerve there. I couldn't, I couldn't remember what it was, and I didn't have it written down in front of me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, but, yeah, essentially, he tells her... He, he shows her, um, like, a... Premonition? Thing that, um, you know, as sort of proof... And then just, yeah, explains to her that she can either take up the mantle as princess or or choose to live the life she's still currently living. Uh, she and goes, then she goes back. Yes, then she goes back, confronts confronts the leader of her of her group, Byakurai, as he's known, and just attacks him and... <laughs> He off he offers to overlook the incident and you know keep her allegiance essentially, but she declines and leaves. And that's where we get a a decent chase scene of her in the forest being chased by all the clan members before she uh, hitches the ride on the back of a truck. And then the the people chasing her go back to the the lair. I yeah. called it. And did you notice how, like, when she left, it was a disaster, and when they came back, it was like nothing ever happened? Uh, I didn't didn't quite notice it too much. I mean, I guess, yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know, it just, I noticed, I was like, whoa, she, like, tore up everything here, and now it's like nothing ever happened. You do, you do kind of have a point there thinking about it. <laughs> but also throughout this opening, like they, they seem to move from location to location very, very quickly. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, they this, don't really. This is. A, yeah, I remember like thinking like. Um, during this whole sequence at the end of it, I was like, Jesus, has it? It feels like it's only been 15 minutes, but we're, we're like jumping like. 3,000 feet already. Um, Just like a common Rider episode. <laughs> and, and I look at the time and I'm like, God, I'm right. It has only been 15 minutes. A lot, um, a lot happens very quickly and then a lot slows down. Yeah. and it, Because at and this point, it slows down. Not quite yet. Um, but it, it starts it, to. It starts to. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, but I feel this... This whole intro kind of um, has one of my complaints with the writing of this film is it's very um, show it's it's very um, talky instead of like showing a lot of the things specifically with like um, I mean I can forgive like having an opening narration at the beginning and right. not really showing all that stuff even though I really think the film. I think it would have helped the film to actually at least like show footage over of that or something. Cause it, it, I kind of forgot most of that information that was told at the beginning up until like le- very late into the film where I'm like, Oh yeah, they did say this earlier. Um, but doesn't, so maybe this is just me, but nobody seems to have emotions. A little, there's a little bit of emotion near the end. <laughs> in in the end, but like throughout this entire movie, like every character is like, every character and, is is very deadpan serious in this. 
and even so the actor for the the quote unquote love interest like when he was interviewed he said that he just wanted to not emote mm-hmm. he just wanted to just say his lines very deadpan because his character basically hated life and he didn't want to show he hated life. He just wanted it to sound like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did. So his exact words was he didn't want to exaggerate it. Okay. Um, Which I don't think he he even acted it. I feel like he just said <laughs> it. Um, yeah, no, as I was saying, I think like I can forgive the uh, opening like the opening text and narration, but I feel, I feel, um, having the Kuka character, I want to say, I, 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 I just think of him as Sadako's uncle. Um, so I'm just going to continue to call him that. Um, the old man, the old man. Yeah. Let's call him that. The old man, just explaining, just telling her, her backstory and, you know, not, we don't really see any of it happen on screen, not even in any flashback. That's a bore. That's a boring way of of conveying that backstory, right? Especially when no. you compare it to like the original Lady Snowblood, where a good a good portion of that film is you know subject to showing that backstory of uh, Yuki's mother and all that. Right. Now, to, and I guess this is in defense, the film had a budget of 135 million yen, which when you adjust that to modern yen is 100 and, 105, 155,700 million yen? 1,557,000 yen, which uh. when you adjust that into like US dollars it's $7,505.60 wow so like this this movie has practically it's it's working on like Roger Corman budget wow okay um that that makes a little more sense now <laughs> I just flabbergasted you. Wow. <laughs> How much you want to bet most of that budget was spent on getting Donnie Yen? <laughs> I, I think most of that budget was spent on Donnie Yen and, and the music. <laughs> Probably. And and maybe casting Yumiko Shaku as well. Because I imagine that might have cost a bit, given she was like a model at the time. But this was also her first movie, so like she probably uh, yeah, didn't true. have. That's and true, she got actually. second billing. She wasn't even top billing. Really? Mm-hmm. In the was so in the credits when top yeah build? he he was top billed because in the credits the way it's translated is Hideki Ito is top billed and then Yumiko Shaku is second billed. <laughs> Fancy that? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like an Arnold Schwarzenegger's above uh, George Clooney and Batman and Robin. Mm. Which is funny when you think about it. Mm. Contractual obligations. So going back to the movie. So like you said, we're, we're given a rundown 
so after she gets on the truck, she ends up at the quote unquote love interest's house, mm-hmm. uh, where he finds her or his sister finds her. He ties her up is like, you're here to kill me and all that. And she shows that. I mean, I think this is a really cool scene where she like shows she can still fight when she's tied up. Oh yeah. Um, and proves that she's not going to kill him because she said, if I was here to kill you, I would have already been walking out the door. Yeah. And then following this is when she goes and finds the old man and gets the rundown of her backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I was surprised how little there was to the backstory in this, at least compared to the like the original Lady Snowblood. This one, I mean, it's not bad. It's It's just I was surprised by how little there is to it. <laughs> so I I want to watch Lady Snowblood Criterion has a Blu-ray of it, but I have never seen it. So Rex up and so we're about halfway we're about at the halfway point at this juncture, right? Or 30 minutes in out of an yeah, hour and 30 so Yeah, 30 minutes roughly. So can you can you explain because at, at essentially after this point it it becomes stagnant. Mm-hmm. Um trying to develop characters that don't get development. Um, <laughs> can you, can you explain up until this point, what's what it follows from the lady Snowblood story to, um, so I mean, it so far, it's really not so far at this point in the movie. It's not really followed much outside of the fact that the main character's name is Yuki. And here we're establishing that her goal is to, you know, she, her goal is to essentially avenge her mother, whom was killed, whom in this movie was killed by the, um, the Takamikazuchi plan after um after a the byakurai became you know he she denied him of um of marriage and also she wanted to leave the essentially leave the clan due to uh not agreeing with some of their methods Mm -hmm. um in late in the lady snowblood movie i don't know how the stiff i don't know if this differs from the manga, but in the Lady Snowblood uh, film, the original, um, Meiko Kaji's Lady Snowblood, Yuki, is her mother, the movie starts with her mother giving birth to her. Um, her mother had dec- uh, sometime prior, during just before, at the very beginning of the Meiji period, I believe, mm-hmm. um, essentially a group of there was a lot of a there was a lot of distrust um in the japanese government with a lot of people being accused of a lot of men specifically being accused of like like being secretly japanese government officials and then they were and then there were also these uh essentially scammers and a group of four scammers um kills not Yuki's father, but the, but the, uh, the husband of Yuki's mother. 
and then Yuki tries to get vengeance by killing those four. However, she, after killing the first one, she gets imprisoned, um, gets getting a life sentence, and from there she sleeps with as many prison guards as possible so that she can get pregnant. And, and although she wanted a boy, so that although she wanted a boy, she ends up having a girl and essentially wants that girl to um to yeah take vengeance for her okay that's her that's essentially the gist of her backstory there is also like i think the old man character here is meant to serve the role of um yuki's mentor um but but i mean the difference is that yuki's mentor spends years training with yuki from since she, from her childhood up until her adulthood when she finally takes her revenge whereas here the uh the old man character in this film just kind of explains the backstory for her and then later also reveals he's the one who delivered the killing blow to her mother gotcha so it doesn't so from what I'm hearing is it doesn't really follow up until this point. It doesn't really follow that Lady Snowblood story. I mean, even after this point, it really doesn't follow very much. Okay. <laughs> Once we get to the end of the movie, I want you to catch up, catch us up with that because. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm curious because like I said, I've never, I've heard so much about Lady Snowblood, the the movie. Yeah. Um, Okay, so from here, um, well, slightly before this uh, scene, actually, uh, we're also shown a scene of Takashi getting a mention on his, you know, 1979 vintage alien mother computer. (laughs) Complete with sound effects. Yeah, that just happened to be borrowed from Alien, you know? This movie actually has a fair few stock sound effects, I noticed. (laughs) I feel like I know what you're talking about, but I don't. I, I mean, don't recall. I mean, maybe. I mean, some of the action, some of the sounds of like, there's an action sequence where they have like some piece of metal hit another piece of metal. I don't quite remember which scene it was, and like just at some points, I'm like, "Hey, I recognize that sound from Gary's mod." <laughs> <laughs> you you probably don't know what sound I'm talking about because you don't I, play video games. I don't. <laughs> Everything you said was foreign to me. That's like watching a Japanese movie without subtitles. Damn. Um, but yeah, he get he gets a message from a man named Kitakoro asking how he's how you've been. I need to talk to you about something. And we're this is essentially just to establish a subplot that'll develop go nowhere. Develop in quotation marks later on. But yeah, it has it ends up adding goes well. nowhere. It goes absolutely nowhere. I feel it was. I feel it must have been like sequel setup, but the yeah, film because, never got a sequel. Yes. So yeah, because so from here, uh, essentially, so Akane, <laughs> she <laughs> she and her Yuki and Takashi meet up because she was in the truck, right? Yeah. Um. And it's supposed to, like, it feels like they're supposed to be, like, these, they're a team, like, they're together. 
they're yeah. building this bond, but it never really comes to light because the day after Yuki goes off and learns about her past and Takashi has this side story that Yuki just kind of watches. She never really involves herself with it. Yeah. And then we have the side plot of uh, what's the clan's name? Rex? Uh, the Take, Take, Take Mikazuchi. So they're trying to hunt down Yuki. Yeah. And they successfully do while the old man is showing Yuki her past. They yeah. kill him and they go after her. And during this sequence, we actually have some really nice cinematography. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're a really fun action sequence um, yeah. in a forest. And it's and decent color grading. That's yes. not over that's not with overdone blue. It, it's got like this thing called natural colors, which is great. I will <laughs> say the old guy's death kind of was like, oh, he's dead. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was expected, but like he killed like one person. He didn't do a whole lot. I mean, and he's supposed to be from from what I understood in the bonus features. He's supposed to be like this one of the like old uh, Take clan people i mean Taka. and Taka so like the the fact that like he gets dispatched pretty quick is kind of like oh okay bye i mean to you're be not fair, significant to the plot to be fair look how old he is <laughs> yeah but like earlier like he was pretty fast when he first walked oh, into that's true. that that is true actually so I don't know, but following this, so after his death, uh, Yuki fights. Um, she ends up killing this female that felt like she was going to be a more important villain to the plot, but yeah, ends up dying. It, it felt like they were going to like develop something with her. There's like clearly some sort of relationship between her and Byakura, the leader of the clan, and some and she's got some sort of like relation with Yuki it's and not, the old man because he's like, Oh, you've grown so yeah, much. Yeah, that's who it's maybe maybe this is a remnant of like the manga. I don't know. <laughs> it made no sense. It, it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> because she dies. At the end of this fight sequence, she dies. But yeah. we do have some pretty disturbing gore with Yuki's hand getting, like, punctured. Oh, also, yeah. like, she gets annihilated. Yeah. But she walks it off and is like, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I had that thought. <laughs> I also like, noticed that, like, um, so, like, her, her wounds clothes, disappear. Not only that, but, like, her clothes get slashed up, right? But, and they're, they're still slashed for a couple of the later scenes. But then, like, ten minutes or so after this, her clothes are just back to normal. They're fine. Yeah. It's <laughs> obvious this movie was not filmed in chronological order. Which yeah, there's movies a couple are never visual continuity errors. Throughout the entirety of this film. Mm. Um, and just so everybody knows, the uh, fight sequences were accomplished through compositing and heavy usage of wireworks. Yeah. Um, which, one thing that's funny is uh, 
Yuki's actress, uh, uh, God, uh, Yumiko Shaku. Shaku had a week of acting of action acting lessons. Yeah, and then she came on the set, so she was like, "I don't really know what I'm doing." Yeah, <laughs> like, sorry, this doesn't make sense. Gotta love rushed production, even though the development started in mid two thousand and it was released <sighs> in December of two thousand twenty one. Or 2001. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn. 20-year production cycle. You'd, th- you'd think she would have learned a couple things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it, it... Yeah, you could... I'll say this. They do a decent job in hiding the stunt doubles. Yes. But I'll say this. There's shots where she's, like, flinging around her sword, and it's... It is Yumiko Shaku and... Yeah, you can tell she doesn't really know what she's doing. <laughs> no, and there's there's a sequence later where she's on wires, and she jumps up onto two trees, mm-hmm. but it looks so awkward. Mm-hmm. You're like, it literally looks like the wires pulled her up and she's just stationary. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that takes, it takes years to learn, and it it, it takes time to learn and years, years to master. master. Yeah. <laughs> As someone with like a martial arts, you know, background, I can attest to the fact it takes years to become in any way like truly skillful. Yeah. So it it's obvious this film is kind of I mean, you have seasoned crew crew members, mm-hmm. but your cast is kind of like not they don't really know what they're doing. I mean, I mean, you do have some seasoned actors like uh, the do. old man, a you very, do. very, very seasoned actor. You do, but there's also like it's just, like not not in the role he's supposed to be playing. This like mm-hmm. Ronin, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what he's playing is a Ronin, sort of. Yeah. Um. Which is kind of disappointing, but following all of this, we jump back, correct me if I'm wrong, but she she ends up getting back to the place, she's basically dead, and Takashi helps her, mm-hmm. and then we jump into the subplot again, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think it's that the subplot happens before, yeah, the subplot happens before this. Gotcha. So, Takashi travels to what... I would attest is probably futuristic downtown Tokyo. There's mm. like this bullet train looking train. Yeah. Um, where Takashi meets. And a bunch of like uh, statues in the background. Yeah. Very dystopian looking. Yes. Yes. Um, but the compositing is awful. I mean, for the budget you're telling, you, you're telling me this film had, I think I can forgive it. <laughs> Fair. I still gotta point it out, though. Yeah, I def I definitely noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is where uh, Shiro Sano, who mm-hmm. we might know from a lot of Millennium Godzilla films, yeah, makes his appearance. Yeah, um, where he sets up the background for Takashi, which gives him a way to relate to Yuki, but. Also doesn't. Mm-hmm. 
So it's basically established that he's a paid for terrorist. I mean, yeah, he's one. Of, he's one of the like. Um, Shurasana's character is like a leader of like the rebellion group that was sort of mentioned in the opening narration, which uh, I forgot about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't. I didn't even realize until like the very end of the movie that he was meant to be the leader of that group because it's such a it's such like a non issue issue yeah it does it does not the movie does not do a a good job establishing the group i mean we only really see like three people with anything involved any involvement in it and Um, a mention of a fourth yeah a mention of like two other people um but that's about it frankly but and i i think part of that problem is the movie is trying to set up yuki's backstory it's not really focusing on her present story mm-hmm. i mean the issue is as well that this movie there there's a world in this movie but there's not a lot of world building to it right it feels like we're missing a lot of context and yes. a lot of information yes mm-hmm. i mean hell that i I don't know if this is true. This is pure speculation on my end, but it wouldn't shock me if like the title sequence is on us. That like opening narration is like a last minute addition just because the film was missing the context or like they couldn't, they just knew they could not shoot it at least. Right. Potentially. I do know that the producer was planning to do a sequel. Yeah. I heard somewhere there was, Definitely intent for a sequel, possibly a trilogy, but I don't know how true that is. I saw the it thrown out that it could have been a trilogy, but I didn't see that it was planned for a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of what I saw as well. So it it, it definitely suffers because of that. Yeah, it, there um, are a, there are very clearly a lot of missing pieces, which is. Part of why the where we you and I both complained about this subplot with Shirasano's character not amounting to much at, at the end of the film, right? And it, it gets kind of weird because it, it it starts to establish a lot of questions like what bomb? Why did he bomb this place? What was the relevancy of this? Because that's all established when Shirasano's character first appears in the film. Yeah. And it's quickly ignored and like left. But when he goes back, he's like, I'm different because I kill people for a reason. You kill people for the money. Mm -hmm. Which is like their argument. But like, don't they, when they, when they, when he talks about that, isn't he talking about an entirely different thing though involving his sister? She doesn't know his sister actually exists yet. Yeah, I know. I know, but... Yeah, he's so. insinuating his sister, but I think he's also insinuating, like, freedom and whatnot. It, but, mm-hmm. like, the argument, Maybe. too, basically is nothing because nobody's acting. They're all just <laughs> staring and talking. Yeah. <laughs> like, there there's no, no tension. Expression. And so, like, from here, like, 
this is where the movie takes a complete halt. Yeah. Because oh, the old guy's it, dead. The pacing just slumps completely it's, here. Because the established potential villain's dead. The obvious si- secondary villain, the chubbier assassin, is killed. The old guy is no longer alive to dump exposition. Takashi's side story like continues to develop for the rest of the film, but it goes nowhere and does nothing. Mm-hmm. The love plot that's clearly supposed to be establishing itself because nobody's acting does not establish itself. Yeah, it does not resonate at all. Even when it it's clearly should be. <laughs> yes. Like in the whole scene of like him feeding her and her changing clothes and all that. Obviously it's trying to establish that. But like it, it just does not resonate at all. Right. And I, I, I felt like the movie's theme was about finding happiness. Yeah, I guess. Like towards the end of the movie, it feels like that that's like find happiness in life. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really achieve that either. Mm-hmm. Um because so at this point, the rest of the film is Sano's character being in the background trying to convince Takashi to do his job. Takashi's like, no, I have things now that I have to do, which is the love plot that doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yumiko's character is trying to figure out her life. And then the the evil clan, I'm not going to say the name. Um, Smart decision. Is is trying to find her. And at the end of the movie, when she's like about to officially retire that part of her life and dump the clothes, they find her and they they fight in the woods. Mm-hmm. During all of this, Sano's character breaks into Takeshi's house and finds them in the basement where his sister, who, uh, Yumiko's character finally learns about and she begins to grow a bond as well with Yeah, her. I should I should mention, like, up until like the sister like finally meets Yumiko uh Yuki, I had completely forgotten the sister was even a character in the film. Right, because she appears I, she appears when, once earlier and just disappears and her, for like a 30, 40 minute stretch. Right, because he asks her what she's doing, she just walks and goes to her. Yumiko. Yeah. Uh stares at her, cuts away. She is I mean, they do bring her up. She asks who is the lady or who is the girl and Takashi says it's just me. Clearly he's protecting his sister. Mm-hmm. Um which is fine, but then like you said, 45 minutes go by, that plot point is only alluded to and nothing really grows until the end when she finds out about her and they're growing a bond for about five minutes and th- until they jump locations. Mm-hmm. And like, this is where I feel like the film suffers the most because she's fighting the clan and she's killing all of the people pretty easily. Well, not mm-hmm. easily, but like fairly quickly for the amount of people there is. Yeah. During this Sano's character is like, Basically saying, it's the end of the road for you, Takeshi. I'm killing you because you didn't want to do this job. And this yeah. is where Takeshi's like, you're the only one that like wanted us to have happiness. And now we're trying to have happiness and you're telling us no. 
Yeah. And it's like, dude. And and now he's just Shirasana's character, I guess, is like working for the government, I guess. <laughs> because he's like, we're going to be diplomatic and figure this all out diplomatically. I'm like, okay, like, what's, what's, what, what is even the plan here? Like, we don't even know what's happening. Mm-hmm. They don't tell us. We don't even really know anything about the government itself in this film. We don't. The only thing we know is that... Is that they have a relationship with the, like, the Take Mikazuchi clan. That's right. about it. And Yumiko could, like, take over and bring the world back to... Yeah, they mention... I guess, like, that's what I... up her role as, the, as, like, a princess, but, like, that doesn't go anywhere either. It doesn't, like... Nobody's like she's the princess besides it's, the it's, clan. It's forgotten, like basically after the old man dies. Right. <laughs> so she ends up killing everybody in the clan, even the main bad guy. Yeah. Which I guess it's because she finds secret powers that uh Godzilla gives her through the power of his energy. Oh, sorry, that's Final Words. What an, what uh, an incredible movie. Peak cinema. Yes. But no, she just magically, like, I guess, gets the Force and obliterates the main villain. I mean, hey, it's a fun fight. <laughs> it is fun. It's it's a very fun fight. There's a lot of fun action sequences. But while this is happening, Shirosano ends up killing or shooting Takashi and then shoots the sister multiple times she's clearly dead he's in pain and he disappears and it's like you can't even like have yumiko's character like show up as he's shooting them to like off him yeah it's obvious he was going to be like an overarching villain i feel like that's what they were hoping for yeah i mean with the sequel intent and the fact that this you know this whole subplot does not have a proper resolution yeah, obviously they were intending on doing something with him in the sequels, but like those never happened. Right. And it makes it definitely gives me the feeling that Yumiko's character is like that Japanese trope of you lose everybody. And so like you are by yourself. Um kind of like Haruo in uh the anime trilogy or uh the machine girl in the first machine girl movie, she loses everybody she knows and it's just her. Um, kind of that trope. I don't know if that's something from lady Snowblood. Um, I mean, um, what's his name? Takeshi. Takeshi's equivalent character in lady Snowblood does die, but it's in a very different context in the, in the film, it is with the final villain. <laughs> Which makes sense. Yeah. I guess another example would be like Devilman. Like in Devilman loses everybody he loves. Mm-hmm. Like it's clearly supposed to be that plot idea. Sure. But it doesn't work because there's no development here. Yeah. And the acting is so shallow that you don't... I, I, I don't feel... Like there's any connections to anybody here. Yeah. Not even to the brother-sister relationship. Which I've seen that 
that trope in Japanese cinema executed way better in other films. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, it's just, there's just so little here to it. That it just, he's, his, the deaths of both Takashi and his sister just ring hollow. <laughs> and Yumiko's character ends up getting there just in time for Takashi to actually die. Mm-hmm. And so she's and so she's finally forced to act by crying, and that's about it. And then it ends with her like accepting her role as Lady Snowblood. Yeah. So now I guess she's got to go and take revenge again. But because the movie did poorly, I'm guessing I actually couldn't find an actual box office number for it. Hmm. It got canceled. This film is uh, rather hard to come by. It seems at the moment. So, with that, the story's over. The movie's done. Yep. No sequels, so bye-bye, Shirasano. (laughs) Now, here's something I didn't understand. On the back of the DVD, it does give two quotes. And tell me, Rex, if this sounds like the movie we watched. Bleakly compelling, with its stylized near-surreal comic book look and roots... The Prince's Blade has all the makings of a cult film. Another quote is, Impressively, the balance between the film's meditative pauses and its explosive sword fight scenes, magnificently choreographed by Hong Kong star Donnie Yen, could not be more effective. I feel like they watched a different movie. You see, minus the Donnie Yen part, I feel like they might have just watched Lady Snowblood from 1973. (laughs) Um, another funny thing about this movie is Takashi's actor, when he was given the script, he actually said, I don't want to be in this. I don't <laughs> like the title of the movie. And he went to the producer and requested them to change the movie title. And when they didn't, he said, I'm not going to put this on my portfolio. I'm I'm not even going to acknowledge that I'm in this movie. What? Why? Yeah. Why? Just because he said the title was stupid and he didn't like the script. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. If I remember right, he said he didn't like the script. What's wrong with the title Lady Snowblood? (laughs) I I, I don't know. I don't know. What? Does does he have a problem with Mako Kaji or something? (laughs) I I couldn't tell you. But, yeah, this, this movie... I told you when when you picked this to be the birthday episode or the birth month episode that this was a bad choice. Do you see why I said that? You see, I do. But as a silver lining in that, I actually didn't mind this too much. (laughs) Really? I I, look, you made it sound you made it sound like I, I we were gearing up for something. God awful. It's it is god awful. You see, I'll agree that it's bad, but I didn't mind it. I had fun. <laughs> okay. Like the, the first thirty minutes and the last fifteen minutes, the action there was pretty fun. As much as it slowed down in the middle, I wasn't out for the most part I wasn't outright bored. For the most part, I should say there there was like a little 
a little stretch just before the final, just before the finale starts, where I'm like, this is dragging on a bit. I see. See, I, 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 I literally like. I was just in a good mood. That's the only reason I was like able to watch it and like <laughs> actually pay attention. <laughs> it it was so boring. It's so boring and lacking. I'm just ready for it to be over. <laughs> I I do not like this movie. It was a huge letdown when I first watched it. I think I fell asleep twice trying to watch it. <laughs> like I I it's not a good movie, I don't think. And it's that's surprising be, because of its the cast and crew. And if you don't mind, I want to okay. I want to go into the cast and crew now. Okay. So the screenplay and the director of this, uh Shinsuke Sato, did Gantz, I Am a Hero, which is a zombie movie, yeah. Death Notes Light Up the World. The upcoming live action, and he's doing the upcoming live action adaptation uh, American film for My Hero Academia. Yeah. Um, when it comes to Tokusatsu, that's what he did. Um, but he's also done other things. He did a movie called Love Song, which everybody like apparently loves. Yeah, I mean um, that. I mean that film. What I read, um, that's the premiere of that film was where Yumiko Shaku met the director. Yes, and I mean, and I mean the Takashi's actor Hideaki Ito was, I think, the main actor in that film. I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, the screenplay was co-written by K. Kunji, which mm-hmm. the he did a Dragon Ball movie, but the thing that he most did that I recognized was Dragon Ball GT, which I'm pretty sure. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I'm pretty sure everybody says Dragon Ball GT is the worst, like, part of the Dragon Ball franchise. If I remember correctly, maybe I I don't know, I don't know very much about Dragon Ball. I have not seen it since I was like, I have not seen a lot of Dragon Ball in years. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure everybody says GT is the worst. If I remember correctly, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Um, as mentioned prior, Shinji Higuchi was the director of special visual effects. The films he directed the effects for include Mika Droid, Robokill Underneath Disco Club Layla, Gamera Guardian of the Universe, Gamera 2 Advent of Legion, Gamera 3 Revenge of Iris, The End of Evangelion, Sayuku Slayer of Demons, and mm-hmm. Shin Godzilla. He did miscellaneous, uh, or various, uh, roles and positions in The Return of Godzilla, Tokyo The Last Megapolis, Orochi's Counterattack, the 8mm film from uh what's what's the company called that um, did um, uh, um, um Gynax or Daikon film. Yes. Uh he worked on the Giant Robo OVA in the 90s. He worked oh, he on worked Oh nice. He worked on it. Yep. Uh he worked on Rex's favorite anime, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes. He worked on Dragon Head. He was the director of Sinking of Japan. Mm-hmm. He worked on uh, Hidden Fortress, The Last Princess. Yes. He worked on uh, all the Evangelion movies, uh, 1.0, 2.0. Uh, 
I mean, he's the namesake of the main character. That's true. That is very true. Yes, that's where uh, Shinji's name actually came from. Shinji. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, he co-directed Giant God Warrior Appears in Tokyo, a short film produced by Studio Ghibli that's live action. He worked on Garm Wars, The Last Druid, Attack, uh, directed Attack on Titan, the movie part one, and Attack on Titan, on the, the movie Attack part on two. Titan anime. Did he? Yeah, he's, he storyboarded a sequence that is basically taken straight out of the second movie. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. He worked on the uh, miniseries The 12-Day Tale of the Monster That Died in Eight, and he worked on Kamen Rider Black Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's, here's I think, your favorite crew member, the producer, Taka, uh, <laughs> Takashige. Takashige. Uh, yeah who worked on Legend of the Stardust Brothers. That was actually his first film he worked on. Tokyo, The Last Megapolis. Tokyo, The Last War. Spiral. Ring. Ring 2. Ring 0. Birthday. Juan the Curse. Juan the Curse 2. Gore mm. from Outer Space. Darkwater. Juan the Grudge. Juan the Grudge 2. Dark Tales of Japan. Kassen. The Grudge, Noroi, The Curse, The Grudge 2, Goemon, The Grudge 3, Juan Black Ghost, Juan White Ghost, Juan The Final Curse, The Grudge, and Juan Origins. Origins. (laughs) So he's basically the father of J-Horror. He's basically the J-Horror director. Producer. He produced all of producer. Sorry. And then you have music by Kenji Kawai, who did unofficial Sentai Akiba, Akiba Ranger, Akiba Ranger, Ultraman yeah. Geed, Kamen Rider Build. Uh, he works with uh, Motoroshi uh, Oshi, I think that's his Mamoru name. Oshi. Yes, who uh, directed The Ghost Red Spectacles, uh, Stray Dogs, Ghost in the Shell, Assault Girls, uh, Garm Wars, The Last Druid. Uh, and uh, Avalon. He also did the score for uh, Mika Droid, Robokill Underneath Disco Club, Layla, Ring, Ring 2. Okay, I was wondering if you were ignoring the elephant in the room or not. Dark Water, Kibikichi, Kibikichi 2, Death Note, Ultraman Zero, The Revenge of Belial, Gantz, Gantz Perfect Answer, Kaidan, Tormented, uh, Gamera 2015, and Seaku, Slayer of Demons. So you have a, a stacked like crew here. Yeah. Um, as we've been talking about when it comes to the cast, Yumiko Shaku, who's going to be at G-Fest this year. Uh, mm. So I'll get to meet her On the, oh, and yeah, get her signature. Nice. Um, she was in Godzilla against Mechagodzilla as Akane, uh, cameoed in Godzilla Tokyo SOS, yeah. uh, was in the Tiger Mask, the movie, uh, Kamen oh, Rider yeah. Zio. She wasn't that. And she most recently was in IK Boys. IK Boys. IK Boys, which uh, had special effects by uh, uh, Daisuke Sato, who directed uh, Hell from Beyond the Fog. Uh, He worked on uh, the special effects, yep. Interesting. I know know it's basically like a a toku fan movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. with a lot of special references. uh, Yumiko Shaku's going to G-Fest because of that film. Mm, that's cool. 
Um, Hideki Ito, who got top billing in this, was in Onmyoji and Onmyoji 2, Pyrokinesis, which is a Shutsuke Kaneko film, yeah. Kashimi K's Terraformers, Kamen Rider Zero One as Kamen Rider Eden. Again, as mentioned, we had Shiro Sano, who was in Tokyo, The Last Megapolis, Godzilla 2000, GMK, Godzilla Final Wars, Fukushima 50, co-starring with uh, Ken Watanabe, who was in Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters. Mm-hmm. You have Nezra 1964, Go versus Sheriff Gavin, the movie, 20th Century Boys 1 and 3, The Great Yokai War, Evil Dead Trap 2, Hideki, and the 2006 version of Satomi Hakanadin. He was also he was also in uh, the the Biku movie, which is a Gara spinoff. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't. I feel like we've talked about that. If you want to also be technical, he was in Evil Dead Trap 3, but that's not actually an Evil Dead Trap movie. That's just the international title. Huh. Um, you have Yoichi uh, Numata, who was in Jigoku, mm-hmm. Ring, Ring 2, Bakaneko, A Vengeful Spirit, Golden Bat, and Ultra Q. Mm-hmm. I you mean, have he's a very, Q- very prolific actor, he especially is. in the 40s and 50s. Very much so. Those are just like his... Notable Tokusatsu and J-Horror. But, like, most his credits are in different films, frankly. Right. He did a lot of uh, samurai films. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, You have Kyusaku Shimida, who was in Tokyo the Last Megalopolis, Tokyo the Last War, Dragonhead, Devilman, Cutie Honey, Tomie Revenge, Kamen Rider the Next, K-20, Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultraman. So there's our Shin Ultraman reference. I connection. mean, this is the actor we kept connecting every film for to for like yeah. three weeks in a row. We're we're quite literally going to do his entire like it feels like it. We've done Devil Man, we've done Cutie Honey, Shin Ultraman. Mm-hmm. We're now just waiting done... for we're just waiting for Media Blasters to re-release the Tokyo the Tokyo Last Megalopolis duology essentially. <laughs> yeah. And he also was in Siaku Slayer of Demons, which I'm pretty sure uh, Shinji Higuchi worked on that film as well. Um, and I think Hideaki Ano did. Um, oh. I've heard of it before. I haven't watched it, but it's it's a 1998 film with a lot of special like visual effects and practical effects. Um, I'd love to watch that movie myself. I may have to look into it. Um, you have Yoko... Shosokabe, mm-hmm. who is in Ring 2, Noroi, The Curse, The Grudge 2, and the original Demi King, which for anybody okay. who doesn't know, Demi King was, uh, for most people, they know it as the 2008 movie Demi King, The Sea Monster, which was actually re- a remake of a small independent film Wait, from 1998. Yes. Oh, I uh, it was originally that. conceived as a 1998 low-budget film that they later did on a bigger budget. I didn't even um, know that. <laughs> I did. I did my research. At least I tried. You have Yoko Yoko Make, who was in Battle Royale Two, um, which we brought up last week because uh, Kenji Fukusaku directed an, a, a scene in that movie before he passed away. She was also mm-hmm. in The Grudge, the American film. Mm-hmm. You have Naomasa Musaka, who was in Twentieth Century Boys Two and Three. Goemon, The Sinking of Japan, the Shinji Aguchi film, Tokyo Fist, and Tetsuo the Iron Man, uh, Shinya Tezukamoto oh, films. 
That's right, Sukamoto Sasuin Seiyaku Slayer of Demons. Huh. Interesting. Um, you have Yutaka Matsushi, who was in Ring, Spiral, Godzilla 2000, Red Red Shadow, Dragon Head, One Miss Call, Shinobi Heart Under Blade, K20, and most recently, What to Do with a Dead Kaiju. Yeah. And finally, you have uh, Takashi Tsukamoto, who's in Onmeyuji, Battle Royale, Godzilla Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters All Out Attack, and most recently... In Nakata's worst adaptation of the Ring movies, Sadako 2019. Disappointing. Disappointing, Nakata. So, like, if you look at these actors, they went on to do a lot, but... Mm. I mean, mean, a lot of these... were already pretty prolific. Like, Shimada, Shirasano, and um, um, uh, Numata had yeah. had their fair share of experience. So it's not really this an inexperienced cast. It's just all the acting's dry and boring. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I I don't like this movie. I was very upset that you picked this as, like, my <laughs> birthday month movie. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you did that just to mess with me. Look, it was pretty funny, but I also did genuinely... I was curious about this film. I was like, surely it's not as bad as you made it sound. And to which, it wasn't... It's not the worst thing I've seen. I I didn't hate it. I didn't mind it too much, in fact. I actually... I found mild entertainment from it, is how I'll put it. Now, I will say this. It is very cool to see this 2001 film with so many people that would later go on or were at the time working on Godzilla movies. A lot of the actors were in like Godzilla 2000 and GMK and, you know, this was the first film for... I mean, even some of the the people behind it, like uh, one of the stunt coordinators would later go on to work on like Godzilla Final Wars. Ironically, working on the what do, uh, being involved in the wire work. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, Yuji uh, Shimamura, whom is a, actually a good friend of um, Tak Sakaguchi. Interesting. So you know, it it is cool to see that stuff. Like it's, I I genuinely like the fact that that here you have in two thousand one, like right as Godzilla starting to return in the Millennium Era, return and then um, die. Right. Uh, you, you see these people in their first roles. I think uh, Yumiku, Yumiko Shaku, like, clearly, after this movie, figured out how to act because she did a great job as Akane. Yeah. Um, granted, I think she it was because she had a better script. Mm-hmm. Um, Possibly better Reese, direction, too. Yeah, Tezuka was definitely a better director, I would say. Um, or at least I mean, knew what he was doing. I mean, have I have not seen Shinsuke Sato's other films? Have you? Uh, let me let me look one more time. I feel like I've seen one or two of his movies. Um, actually, never mind. I haven't seen Gantz, I Am a Hero, or Death Note Light Up the World, but okay. they are on my list. I'm I'm told I Am a Hero is good, but like likewise, may maybe it's a fault of his direction. 
I don't know. It's well, this was also very early on in his career. Suzuka, I'm pretty sure, was already pretty seasoned. Hmm. Hmm. Quite, quite possibly, yeah. You could be right. And while researching this film, I actually uh, found an interview that Yumiko, Yumiko Shaku did talking about her her mm-hmm. her works. And this was from like 2018, so this was after she did the Godzilla films. Oh, yeah. And she, it was really cool to see um, that she was really honored to be in the Godzilla films. Uh, she... Uh, was very excited to be a name in the history of Godzilla movies, um, to quote her exactly. <laughs> um, and what's funny is before she did against Mechagodzilla, she actually went and joined the self-defense forces for a trial run to uh, learn how they trained. Yeah. Probably more than a week. And I'm sure probably. working on uh, this film kind of helped her with like being a little bit more of an action-y actress i mean from um, from from what i read it's not confirmed but it is a lot of people believe that this film is what got her the role as ikane that it's very likely that um either masaki tezuka um shogo tomayama or or potentially both of them had seen princess blade and saw yumiko shaku's performance and Thought to um, thought that she might have been right for the role. That's right, because against Mechagodzilla was two thousand two, and this came out in December, so mm. that would have lined up just in time for production. Yeah. Or perhaps maybe the casting director saw this film as well. Perhaps because well, after this, she did a drama called Sky High. Mm. Drama slash film. Because there's also so, a film from Ryuhei Kitamura. <laughs> but from what I looked, it wasn't related to the Kitamura film. No, it is. It is. It is? Yes, because the TV show has, like, two of the episodes of the show are directed by Kitamura. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. At least two of the episodes I know are directed by Kitamura. That's right. She does have top billing. But that was in so... I'm looking here because I'm curious. That was after against Mechagodzilla. So it was following the the series. The show started in 2003. So yeah, against Mechagodzilla was following Princess Blade, mm-hmm. and then from there she got the Sky High gig, and yeah. then from there worked on the film with Ryuei Kitamura, which. Mm-hmm. Because of Sky High, he wasn't there for the first three months of production on Final Wars. Oh. Oh, yeah. I think I have read, heard that somewhere. We had a conversation about that once. Oh. So you were the one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I was. Mm. Okay. I'm the one that you talked to about Godzilla Rex. That's true. Specifically... Ryuei Kitamura in Final Wars. That's true. How disappointing. Wow. <laughs> so, thank you for, for clarifying that, because I would have felt bad if we didn't bring up She Worked on Sky High. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was surprised you hadn't brought it up earlier. <laughs> well, I was going to, but then like I was trying to f- 
confirm that the series worked was like in relation to the movie, but the page I was on had no mention of Ruei Kitamura or the or the movie. So I was like, eh, maybe they're separate. Disappointing. I know. I know. But, uh, you know, it's cool to see that. Mm -hmm. So, like, at least on a Godzilla standpoint, like, so when when talking about Millennium stuff, after watching Versus and uh, Alive, I, like, I understood why Kidamura got... I need to watch Alive. God damn it. Like, those two films are feel like two parts of... I need to see Azumi. I own it. Um, I just need to watch it. But, mm-hmm. like, being able to watch these films, I, I understood why Kitamura got the Final Wars gig. Oh, so it's yeah. really versus. cool. <laughs> you can see a lot of what would come in Final Wars in Versus. And I'll say this. You can see and hear a lot of the special effects and sound effects in Alive. In Alive? Like, you see <laughs> the action... In, in verses, and then you see the sound and coloring in Alive. Okay. And I'd like to see Azumi because I bet that's where you see the special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I feel like, and, and like, this is just my theory because, like I said, I haven't seen Azumi, but I feel like those three films, because Sky High was not done before Final Wars went into production, so Toho didn't really have anything to gauge off of that, and he didn't direct Battlefield Baseball. There's mm-hmm. also Aragami, um, which I haven't seen. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's got a release in, in America, Ugh. but he did that in between Alive and Azumi. But I, I have a feeling Azumi, Alive, and Versus are the three components to Final Wars. Mm-hmm. So seeing Yumiku, Yumiko Shaku do this before against Mechagodzilla, I think is really cool. Yeah. I just, I love seeing because like in, for a lot of the Showa actors, you don't like Akira Takarado. Godzilla was his entryway. Mm-hmm. Um, Momo Kokochi also didn't do a whole lot of acting. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Takashi Shimura, like you can see seven samurai in Ikaru and, uh, some of these other, like uh, Rashomon, the Kurosawa films. So you see him pre-Godzilla kind of showing his acting talents. But a lot of these actors from the Showa era, you can't see their films. You don't yeah. see their pre-Godzilla stuff. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it just frankly is not available and not enough people know about it slash have the interest in making it available. Right. For the stuff so like, that does exist for the actors that do have history. Right. So, so like, Shinji Higuchi is another one. Like, seeing uh, ro- uh, ro- uh, Mika Droid Robokill underneath Disco Club Layla before, like, he did Gamera and whatnot's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Seeing uh, Shiro Sano in, like, Evil Dead Trap 2, Hideki, and Princess Blade. Mm-hmm. Like, those, those films before and like during is really cool to see um, i mean like him or not hideaki ano it's undoubtedly interesting to see how like the works of like akio jisoji's like ultraman episodes had an influence on 
you know, not only his original creations like Evangelion, but then how he would later come to essentially remake three of the biggest tokusatsu properties. Right. And Higuchi being with him right there for two of those. Yeah. Sadly, not Shin Kamen Rider, though. Rest in peace, Higuchi. At, at least he got Black Infinity. Sun. He did. He did get Black Sun. And another thing is, like, Higuchi's first film, like, credit was on Return of Godzilla. Like, that's really cool to see as a production well, he isn't assistant. Credited. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but, like, it's it's cool to see him, like, go from just being a production assistant to doing storyboards and then becoming director of effects for a straight-to-video film and then the Gamera films and then apparently working on GMK for the one sequence, um, the one credited. Hmm. To grow, and then go direct, in a, co-directing a Godzilla film, directing and then, an Ultraman film, and then designing Common Rider Black Sun like that. Mm-hmm. That's really cool, and it might just be like my historian side, but I love seeing that stuff. I love being able to say, "Okay, yeah, it's fascinating." It's it's interesting to see like the, I guess the evolution of someone's career and style. <laughs> right, and being able to see that up until like like Ryuei Kitamura, I think partly why I appreciate not just verses in Alive, but Final Wars, which I every when people find out that I appreciate Final Wars, they're like, "What's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> you're crazy." I just I love seeing Kitamura's style grow. I mm. love that. That that is the most rewarding part, and like Yumiko Shaku, seeing her go from this kind of lifeless, emotionless role to Akane is mm-hmm. really nice, and I can't wait to see, uh, I IK boys, EK boys, EK boys, because I'd love to see where she's how she's grown and developed as an actress. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that. I'm I'm very excited to see that film mm-hmm. so there's how i'm going to rationalize even though i think this movie is awful that's mm-hmm. how i'm going to rationalize the reason to watch it <laughs> if not for what's rex says is fun sword play and cool it choreography is. for the like just the cool aspect of watching I mean, the actress for akane start her film career I mean, I guess for me, it also helps that I happen to, I happen to enjoy, uh, I happen to enjoy that early 2000s style of filmmaking for all its flaws with things like color grading and ridiculous editing at times. It's fun. (laughs) I like that style. I love Final Wars. I, I genuinely think final watching Final Wars has shaped my taste <laughs> dramatically. And I can't wait till we I can't wait till we cover that. That'll be a great that'll be a great episode. But at that point we will have covered the last good Godzilla movie. Well, I'd argue there's at least one more. Mm, nope. Well, you just you have, have bad taste. opinions. I have great taste. You are a fake fan. 
I am not a fake fan, actually. You're not a true fan. I am a true fan. And there's the gatekeeping part of this episode. We have officially reached all of the cliches and all of our shticks. Mm-hmm. So at this point, there is one thing left to do. And do you know what that is? What is it? Shameless self-promotion. Oh, well, that's that's crazy. Well, dear viewer, if 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 you are enjoying this and you want to check out some of my stuff, go on YouTube, subscribe to at Rexino, follow at Rex underscore Xenomorph on Twitter, and also follow Rex underscore Xeno on Instagram. And if you would like to check out some of my writing, go check out the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, you can find me on YouTube at ET13Productions, on Twitter at ET13Productions, and on Instagram at ET13Productions. If you want to find my personal accounts, I'm not going to tell you how, but it's pretty easy to locate. I feel like I've said this three times now tonight. It's really (laughs) weird. Hmm, I wonder why. I do too. And as for the podcast, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That helps us boost our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't. Kind of, that's actually a lie. I use a MacBook to do this podcast and edit this podcast occasionally. But you can also rate us on Spotify. That's a new feature they allow. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, which, you know, some people definitely don't want to have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We did get review bombs, so we're sitting at a solid 3.1. So if we could bump that up to maybe like a 4.2. Like, I feel like we're a 4.2, at least for the amount of content we put out. Mm. Like, that'd be perfect. Especially recently. Yeah. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, the discussion had in our general one chat appears to be all about... Let's see here. MF Doom and his Ghidorah album uh it's called titled take me to your leader he released it under the name king Ghidorah. that features a ton of uh samples from uh showa godzilla dubs so there's an interesting conversation that you definitely wouldn't hear typically it's a great community full of great people don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video we sometimes post exclusives to the channel, like bloopers for episodes. In this this episode, definitely, there's some there's some funny bloopers. Let me tell you. Or minisodes talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kruchevsky on the channel. I probably butchered his name, and I apologize for that. As you should. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and the other content we upload. He does a lot of hard work, so please support him. His links can be found in the description below. 
Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals and our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at danzilla 93 gnp or visit his website GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at GiantMonsterBS or on any podcasting platform under the name GiantMonsterBS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Too now.